You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Aspen Pharmacare has another feather in its cap. Let me read you a press release that I received yesterday. It says here, JSE Limited listed Aspen Pharmacare Holdings Limited, global multinational speciality pharmaceutical company, is pleased to announce that one of its wholly owned South African subsidiaries, Aspen SA Operations, has confirmed a non-binding term sheet with Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and we can go on, but basically it's Johnson & Johnson. With me now is Stephen Saad, the CEO and founder of Aspen Pharmacare. And Stephen, I can see this as a win-win-win-win situation. It's a win for Aspen Pharmacare, its stakeholders and its shareholders. It's a win for Johnson & Johnson. It's a win for South Africa when it comes to healthcare and also the continent of Africa. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I think start firstly with the patients. It's a win for the patients because... I mean, we don't have to go through people not getting access, <laughs> um, you know, on the continent. You know, once when you look at what the world did, the sort of the fault line was those that had manufacture and didn't have manufacture. Um, and when India closed its borders, then Africa, which imports 99 percent of its product, received nothing. So. It is a win for patients. Um, it's it's demonstrated. You've seen even in South Africa within a, you know three months there was there wasn't enough vaccines, and then suddenly uh, we can't we can't take any more. So it's it's just the volumes that we're producing millions and millions each week, um, and it's been good because we've made over 120 million doses, and of course some have come to South Africa. The majority have gone into Africa, and without us. Would the continent have, if without being positioned here in Africa, would the continent got that volume? My answer is probably not, Lindsay, because you've seen that there are more booster doses have already been sold than than vaccines, initial first-round vaccines in Africa. So um, it's a win for the patients. Of course, it's a win for security of supply because if we control the license, we decide who we sell to. Our current arrangement with Johnson & Johnson is we sell to them and they can sell anywhere. We have no control. Uh, owning the license means that we sell only into Africa. Where we can we, that we will sell to Africa. If Ghana phone us, we say this is what we've got for you. you know? So yeah, I think it is a win across many, many levels and not least that we will spawn. It's the start of the spawn of a vaccine industry across Africa. And I think that that at the very end is, is the, the most important thing here is that you're going to build capacities and capabilities so we never left behind again. We'll talk about logistics and the problems of distributing throughout Africa and how it can be addressed uh, later on. But can you give us the mechanics of the deal, please, Stephen? Sure. Uh, the, the operational mechanics. Uh, yes, please. So, so sure. So from here, what we would want to do is is you take a copy of the existing um, registration and you would have to register it here in South Africa, our home country, and across a WHO, which is an acceptable format for the rest of Africa. We would, we've would we also got a lot of new things to do. So um, the one is distribution, which you mentioned now. So we no longer have uh, J&J picking it up from our door and doing the release test in the laboratory, we have to do those tests ourselves as our own product. We need to release it. And that involves some lab work and it's scaling up your laboratories. The The next level is you then have to move it to a client base. Beforehand, Joe and Joe would pick it up and take it themselves. We would have to 
distribute this into Africa. Fortunately, there are already distribution systems run by UNICEF, uh, supply chain systems into countries. So we would, from what we're seeing at the moment, we would be supplying UNICEF into central areas, and they would um, they would then do the distribution. On our products, we've got something called QR codes or serialization, which we'll add, which is like a barcode. And this is important because what we'd like to monitor ultimately is that we can um, we can see where the products are used, and if we can get the users to tell us when they open and close a carton, we'll be able to see how quickly they're using and that it's not being wasted, that it's not counterfeit product, and you'd almost have a heat map of where things are being used. So you don't you don't end up wasting. So there's quite a bit in the logistics chain. Those are just some of the highlights. I mean, there's plenty of other things at a technical level. You know, if you have an adverse reaction from the product, how do you manage that collectively with J&J? How do you report these things? So there's, there's, there's quite a bit of technical clinical stuff. But, uh, yeah, we just we, we sort of work through it all. And that's why it takes a little while to get to where we got to. Is it Aspen Pharmacare's responsibility to address all of the things that you've just mentioned? Or is it just you manufacturing, sending it somewhere and then someone else takes over? No, it's ours because once the product becomes yours, you are responsible, as we are with the rest of our pharmaceutical products. If anything happens to the product, we are responsible as owners of a product. You know, if somebody today in in one of the hospitals in South Africa has a problem and they think it might be drug-related, they'll come to you and you check all your breath records and you give all sorts of answers. So it's no different here. Um, but we would be looking for something similar to the multinationals who've got what they call a no-fault claim, which says, you know, you, you've you've got to set up what I call the equivalent of a road accident fund uh, for these vaccines until they're fully registered. So, look, quite quite a bit. I mean, I don't want to go into too much technical stuff, but mm. you are responsible to get the product to the door and that's injected and that the product works effectively on, in, on, on the patient. And if something doesn't work, you know, you, you've got to understand, you know, was your batch wrong? Did you make it correctly? Or was it just a patient effect? And that's no different to if you make a paracetamol tablet. But obviously a little bit, there's a, a slightly different uh, risk profile between paracetamol and a biological product. I would say so. Stephen, everyone's suddenly become an expert on COVID-19 <laughs> and the Delta variant and the new variant, which apparently started in Southern Africa, maybe even South Africa, but suddenly the Dutch have said, no, we got it first. And so it goes on and on. What is your understanding as to the vaccination penetration in South Africa and the rest of Africa? Because anecdotally, people say, well, we've got loads of doses, but people aren't just aren't, aren't coming forward, whether they can't come to a clinic because of uh, their geographical location or whether they just don't want to. Please tell me more because you're on the coalface here. Yeah, I think there's actually a difference between Af uh, Africa and South Africa at the moment. So Africa is really short supplied. There's doses rolling in now, but they, they really don't have an oversupply. And in South Africa, there is sufficient vaccine. So we've been asked to delay our orders into South Africa. And we've actually redirected them into Africa. So in the South African, and if I go to South African environment, they short. Um, and then countries now, so we had the Kenyan uh, delegation and the Kenyan president at our facilities. They are introducing mandatory vaccines. They say, hey, it's not right that some people get vaccinated. Some We are going, it's going to be mandatory. So 
So I think people, I mean, you saw even South Africa, who sits with, with an excess stock effectively is, is now battling to get, to, to move that stock as quickly as, the, as, as we'd like in South Africa. Um, and so the latest is, will we go mandatory or won't we? And you're starting to see people running out of patience, even in Europe. You know, we will go mandatory. And if you don't know, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to public transport. Yeah. And you're seeing all of this pop up because it's no longer a personal thing. You know, you, you're, you're not being vaccinated is actually impacting the severity, the duration and the, the hospitalization rates. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a very tough space to be in. But I think in the South African environment, we haven't been in an overstock situation for a very long time. And I think you've got to take this out and into the, into the, to where the people are. You can't ask someone to pay 50 bucks to catch a, well, you can, but I'm not sure you're going to get a great response mm. to get in a taxi, pay 50 bucks and go and get vaccinated. But I think if you do take it to the people, and you know, South Africa is pretty good with mobile clinics, et cetera, that you've got to go, you've got to dispel the rumors. You know, this is where search social media is a real curse, you know, so it gets out there and it's just, it's, you know, people read stuff and say stuff and get people in a state. Um, and so it's, it's, it's about educating people. And ultimately, it's, you're going to have to be a little bit firmer, I believe. Um, if we want to move it forward. I believe so too. You say in the press release that you kindly sent me yesterday, uh, this is a quote from you, as with the solution found over a decade ago, resulting in voluntary licenses for antiretrovirals used in treating HIV AIDS, we hope that this vaccine license and related technical transfer may serve as a blueprint to assist in capacitating Africa and other developing markets and in doing so ensure that we can truly live and give substance to our global commitment that, and this is a highlighted phrase now, we are not safe until we are all safe. I think it's World AIDS Day today, yes. Stephen. Do you think we'll be having a World COVID-19 Day in 10 years' time, for example? I hope not. And it's totally personal. I'm not a scientist as a as a first, but I do think that we have had flu epidemics in humanity over over the centuries. And ultimately, if you look at all of them, they've run out of steam and they've become your normal flu strains or they've become a flu strain. Yeah. Even if you look at the latest variant. And we don't know what's going to come of this later. It could be more severe than anything else. But certainly what we're seeing at the moment and what the hospitals are saying is that at the moment a lot of people are asymptomatic and not seeing a lot. So if you could get your absolute upside scenarios, if you got an, a highly infectious disease, so people got this new variant and it wiped out all the other variants because it was so much more dominant, but it didn't make you very sick. You could be in, you could be in a great position. And I think that's what you've got to hope for in this evolution <laughs> of the variants is that eventually you get to a dominant variants that leave you relatively asymptomatic. And, you know, there's 60,000 people a year in, in America where they die of flu. I was listening to somebody the other day, you know, and you learn to live with it. You learn to live with flu and, 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 Ultimately, I believe that must, that seems to me to be the logical place for, for where COVID ends. But in between, we've got to be so cautious and use all the behavioral measures, the vaccines we got and the behavioral measures, so we actually get to that place sooner rather than later. Your deal, I think, goes until two, 2026. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's initial term. And there's a, just, we, can, we can talk further. They give us the tweaks to the product in that period. And I think both parties have just got to see how it works, you know, beyond that 
you know, up to that period. Yes, yeah, four years away, which in its own right tells you that perhaps people like the pharmaceutical industry and like the administrators and the authorities are saying this could be with us for many, many more years, or am I being mischievous here? No, I, I'm not sure. I don't think there's anything you can read anything. It's a five-year arrangement. I think both parties see how it works, um, see where the disease goes to, where does it mutate to, what changes are. You know, as we've seen globally here, you, you live from, from wave to wave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In five years, we should, have a, we should have a good handle between ourselves of what's working and not working. I hope so. What would you say to people that are anti-vaxxers, as they call them these days? Because it, I'll give you my opinion first and then you can shoot me down or you can uh, agree with me. If someone says to me, I'm not going to get vaccinated and I'm a bar owner or a bus driver, I'll say to them, you have the right to do what you want with your body. I have the right to do what I want with my bar, unless you're double vaccinated or you're COVID-free because you've had a test in the last whatever it is, then you can't come in my bar. So we both have our rights and we must both respect them. What do you say to anti-vaxxers? Yeah, my, my comment to anti-vaxxers is that given the, and, and it strengthens every day, given the data that one is seeing out of vaccines, it's irresponsible not to vaccinate. But if you choose not to vaccinate yourself, then you cannot expect to be in a public place. You can't expect to meet. You can't expect to go to a rugby game, and sit next to people who are vaccinated. You can't expect to go to a bar, and you shouldn't expect to sit in a taxi next to anybody, or sit in a factory. It's just not right. And I understand that there's initial concerns, but you're getting, you know, there's I think three and a half billion people around the world have been vaccinated. My goodness, you look at the you look at the response, you know, in Shawnee now, 90% of the people in hospital are not vaccinated. I mean, come on. I mean, you, this is not absolute rocket science. And don't give us all the other angles that you come at. It, it makes no sense. But I don't want to be in the company of people that aren't vaccinated. I wouldn't want my mother in her 80s to be next to someone uh, who's not vaccinated. And I would think it's absolutely irresponsible to walk around that and potentially infecting people. And you might be young and fine or you've got all your own views, but to impact other people's lives and cause death potentially in others is, is not an acceptable situation. I'm, I'm sorry, I feel very strongly about this. Well said. Stephen Sard, thank you very much for your time. Well done on the deal. And uh, hopefully it doesn't continue for five years. Hopefully it's all over. Stephen Sard is the CEO of Aspen Pharmacare. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.